1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many
3: chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mick Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to The podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine. And a warm welcome to Season 10, where we're exploring histories and mysteries of the British landscape walking in ancient lands, unearthing forgotten myths, and even stumbling across a few chilling tales of the supernatural. And of course, as ever, we'll be enjoying wonderful wildlife along the way. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of the podcast, and I'm currently sitting in deep in a green lane in an oak woodland high on a hill in the Brecon Beacons, surrounded by ferns and moss and gnarled tree trunks, and the Pottering, you can hear in the background, is my dog Idris, foraging in the leaf litter. So we've reached episode 10 of season 10, and a very special guest indeed, nature writer Nicola Chester. Nicola has just published her book, called On Gallows Down, a memoir of nature, beautiful places, and the battle to protect them. Nicola's place is the wonderful rolling chalk downland of the Berkshire-Hampshire borders, And in this recording, from earlier this summer, she takes our own Annabelle Ross on a walk over Gallows Down itself to reveal some of the landscape's history, ancient and modern, and her own part in it. Plus, if it's butterfly-heavy podcasts you're after, this is the one for you. Nicola's book on Gallows Down is published by Chelsea Green Publishing and is just out now in the shops. Please don't forget to leave likes and reviews on whichever podcast provider you use. And you can send me messages anytime to my email address, editor at countryfile.com.
0: We're here in the north Six Downs. Um, we're right on the border, actually, of West Berkshire, Wiltshire and North Hampshire. Um, and I'm going to take you up to the top of a hill where, apparently, you can see seven counties on a day like this. Wow. But we shall, we shall see. The far distance there is the Ridgeway, the ancient trackway. Lamborn Downs, um, and you've got uh, the Uffington White Horse is on the other side of that hill over there. All of that is Berkshire? Yes. OK. Yeah, or you're just into Oxfordshire, actually, there. OK. They stole the horse from us a few years ago. Okay. <laughs> right,
1: That's brilliant.
0: <laughs> and then down here, you've got... Um, this is the Kirby Estate that, um, that we live on, and my house is just the other side of those trees there. Um, but the Kirby Estate actually stretches all these fields... That we can see from here underneath us, and uh, right the way around on the other side as well.
1: And um, you, you've lived there for forever.
0: Uh, I've lived there nearly twenty years, mm. um, but I've known the place forever.
1: And so, where are we going to be walking today? So we're heading up to
0: um, a local. I sort of want to say beauty spot, really, um, but it's much more than that. <laughs> It's known locally. It's got three names actually. Um, the hill we're walking on is Gallows Down, but it's also known as Inkpen Beacon um, or Coon Gibbet because at the top of the track we're walking to. So Devon, it's high point, although it's not the highest hill.
1: There's a helicopter going. <laughs> That's it. There's a, there's a, uh, somehow a very noisy helicopter, yes. but I think. <laughs> We can, we can thinking. carry on, I think.
0: OK. Um, so we're walking up the spine of the chalk track um, to a long barrow on the top there, um, being joined by a party of jackdaws as well. Um, and the, <laughs> the long barrow is actually on the border of the old boundary between Hampshire and Berkshire, and the boundary between two parishes, Inkpen on this side and coombe on the other, which will... We'll, come, we'll talk about it later because <laughs> it's quite interesting. Um, but on top of it is this uh, double gibbet or, or gallows, um, which has quite a story
1: attached, which I'll uh, I'll tell you about. In a minute. Uh-huh. We'll oh okay. <laughs> and you have walked this area since you were a child. Is that correct? yes? Yes. Um, I've grown up in the area, but um, I think
0: probably first I used to come here when I was about eleven, I think. Um, and it's the sort of landscape that doesn't leave you. <laughs> it, it's, um, it draws you in with its, um, its stories and its wildlife. And, yeah, it's very much um, where my
1: heart lies, I suppose. So this is where you started to, um, I suppose, not appreciate, it's a dreadful word, but sort of start to love nature. Um, yes, I think, I think so. Um,
0: I did some of my growing up in Pangbourne. Um, beside the River Pang and I suppose that's when it all started this this love for for nature and those are the days when you literally were (laughs) turned out of doors and you came back when you were hungry (laughs) which is a wonderful way to spend a childhood Um, and then we moved to Greenham when I was, gosh, about about 11 and we used to come up here for walks Um, and uh, it's quite a story with Greenham because It was this wonderful wild moor, this open common land. Um, And I suppose when I was about 11 or 12, fences went up um, and uh, 96 cruise missiles came in. (laughs) And, of course, huge fences. They even had a a shoot-to-kill policy at the time. Um, So it
1: (laughs) had quite an impact on um, certainly my wanderings anyway. Oh, my goodness. So you really... Remember that clearly, obviously. But yes. how did your parents react? Well, I think um, I think they're very practical.
0: Um, I know, growing up in that era, the fear of nuclear war um, was probably the biggest thing. We thought that's how the world would end. Um, but living so close, my dad used to laugh. <laughs> they say, "What? Well, look, we're so close." You know, there won't be time for a four minute warning, you won't know anything about it. And actually, <laughs> I drew a lot of comfort from that.
1: <laughs> It'll all be over very quickly. Will, yes,
0: it, absolutely.
1: 96 missiles. So, you, <laughs> I maybe we're going to come to that later, but just were you involved in the protests? Did you chain yourself up as a child? <laughs> To the uh, to the gates of Greenham Common? <laughs> no, I wish I had. <laughs> but um, I think
0: they were there for a long, long time, the peace women. Um, and I had to pass them on a regular basis. And I think much of the community, to my great shame, um, really resented them being there, but they resented the Americans being there as well. Um, and I just found them fascinating <laughs> and really... Um, really inspiring, that tenacity um, and I remember as a child just feeling that it was wrong that they were treated in that way um, by the local community but also I suppose you know, the police, everybody was against them and I kind of felt that I wanted my common back too <laughs> so we had a lot in common and as the years grew by and I suppose I matured um, you know, I, I sided with them and um, would go and chat to them and taking packets of biscuits and <laughs> you know, the little support I could offer uh, I did, yeah Sorry, remind me how long they were there for Um I think it's 19 years, I need to check that Yeah, yeah, it's a very long time Oh my goodness, sorry, time. I had no 20. idea
1: I was very naive yeah. about that, 19 years I think so, yeah, I
0: must check that <laughs> But I know it's um, I think it's one of the longest protests ever
1: yeah. So you absolutely did grow up with it yeah. right next to you
0: <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, from that small child that just held their parents' views to, you know, having that independence of views
1: was, I suppose it was a rite of passage, really. Gosh. You know, really important one. Yeah. I think we're going to talk a bit more about that and the the protest side of life. <laughs> <laughs> but but we've arrived at the... What have we arrived at? Yes.
0: This is our, um, solid oak, um, gibbet. It's a, it's a double gallows, um... <laughs> it's a funny word, actually, and I think the two words are interchangeable, but it was used just the once in 1676, Um, and it was used to display the bodies of um, adulterous lovers. And George Brumman lived in the village on that side of the hill, and Dorothy Newman lived on that side of the hill, and they used to meet in the middle, (laughs) scandalising both villages. Um, And they were caught, but they were caught tragically because... One way or another, they felt they had to murder um, George's wife and son, and the bodies apparently were thrown into the dew pond, which is just up here, which was known as Murderer's Pool for quite some time, apparently. Um, um, which is
1: really grisly. It is a bit because um, if you're going, to, you know, that doesn't make for good a good romantic <laughs> it love that's affair. Where the romance
0: stops, doesn't it? Goodness yeah. me, um, yeah. So they were they were discovered. And they were tried, found guilty, and hung in Winchester, sort of in that kind of direction. You can sort of see the Winchester Hills in the distance. Which way um, is that? I'm terrible so with So my... we are looking almost directly south. South,
1: OK. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then um, their bodies were brought all the way back. Um, so it was a big effort to show the community and beyond, I think, that this was a terrible thing, obviously. Um, and the bodies were, were laid out in the pub in the village... Chains were made for them, and they were brought back up here. And this was erected, and their bodies were were displayed in the in the gallows up here. In uh, the jib, in That's the, so the, the grisly. So I mean, grisly. this is.
1: I'm just trying to think because I'm five foot something. So five ten. This is twenty five. Yeah. Twenty five feet up. Yeah. I mean, it soars, doesn't it, against the sky? Yeah. It's just,
0: and you can see it as you can see for absolute miles around. It's a re-
1: I'm sorry, it's a really nice view from here. I mean, but not when you're... Yeah. Okay. No,
0: no. But the but the but another interesting thing about it is so that we're stood, we're actually stood on a, a long barrow, um, which is about 6,000 years old. So the first farmers of the area are buried under our feet. And because the border runs along the spine but goes round the long barrow on both sides, so this is a no-man's land in the middle. Wow. So because the couple were from... Two parishes, either side of the hill. This was the no man's land, and the community sort of came together.
1: Each put their bit in to pay for the the gibbet, and and it sort of sits in the middle. And it was it was a form of um, entertainment in oh, those days, wasn't gosh. it? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Shocking, um really. and that was the only time it was used as far as I know. But
0: this, I think, is about the seventh or eighth replacement. Oh, okay. so every time it goes down for one reason or another. It's replaced, and it's so strange for
1: such a grisly thing to be such a loved landmark. And there's no, uh, there's no actual information about it no. around, no. which I find really sad, because I think it's important to, to have information about the history of a place like this.
0: Yeah, yeah that's an interesting point, actually. Um, and I think up until recently, it was a very remote area. You could come up quite regularly and see nobody. So it's quite nice that actually people are coming up more and finding out about it. But yeah, you do have to Google its history to find
1: out yeah. anything about it. Um, so. It doesn't feel at all spooky or creepy or anything either up here, does it? it just It's just a wonderful place to be it in this wide open is. space. And so I can understand why they met here as yes. well. I mean, what a romantic place to meet, but, yes. but really sad. Anyway, mm. yeah. Shall we, mm. yeah, shall we carry on? yes. <laughs> We're walking on on the burial ground of yeah. local farmers,
0: yes, yeah, the first farmers of the area, and they were all buried when frozen. would that when would that be so that was uh, around six thousand years ago, so I think it's about a thousand years older than Stonehenge and Avery, which are in the distance in that westerly direction over there,
1: which is astonishing that <laughs> really is amazing um and this, have you grown up being told this history, or did you study, did you research it all? I've grown up knowing a little of it, but not very much.
0: I mean, it's funny enough for uh, O level history, showing my age there. Um, but we, but we studied the industrial, but also the agrarian revolution, um, which fascinated me. I didn't do very well in my history O level, but because I think the history of the farming in this area is quite incredible beyond the trees in that sort of where are we facing sort of northwesterly direction mm. um, we've got Prosperous Farm where Jethro Tull lived and invented the seed drill, um, just on the edge of Hungerford, and then below us, actually if we sort of stop about here, so um, we've got Hungerford, Hungerford is hidden behind the trees there, but a very small rural market town it's lovely, but a lot of the um, villages in the area were very inspired by William Cobbett's Rural Rides um, He would, and his pamphlets so he rode through quite regularly through these villages and off into Hampshire and he would visit local pubs and talk um, people would buy his pamphlets or get hold of his pamphlets and all meet at the pub and then those that could read would stand up on chairs in the pub and read them out and he was a great champion of the rural poor just this incredible leader um, and quite a, a rebel really and he I suppose he inspired these people to, to actually 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 sort of take control of their own situation and inspired many of the swing riots that took place um, so I think they started bubbled, bubbling up in Kent and little pockets over the country but there was a huge movement here I mean my house is a it's a farm workers cottage but it's a 19, it was built in the 1950s but I know there were houses much older on that site long since tumbled down And the villagers would go from door to door, rousing each other and actually picking each other up as as they went and knocking on the doors of the big houses, demanding food and beer and better conditions, um, trashing machines as they went, threshing machines and and all sorts. And eventually ended up in Hungerford, um, where reports are there were between 500 to 1,000 people. And there were women and children there as well, and these almighty protests. And although nobody was hurt and no lives were threatened... They did a lot of damage. And I think some people were given better wages and better conditions. Others were sent home. And then, of course, then came the reckoning. And um, a lot of the lords of the manor, particularly I think Colonel Dundas from um, Kimbury, he roused this sort of unofficial army and they literally hunted these people down as if they were hunting foxes. And they were tried and um, many were... Um, condemned to death, but I think what happened was actually a lot of the people from the big houses came forward and said, look, these are the best men of our community, they are the breadwinners they get the harvest in they, we cannot manage without them and the sentences were, were made more lenient, but I think one was made a scapegoat and he was, he was hung in Reading, There's a bit of a theme with hanging going on here <laughs> and, um, and he, the, the vicar, um, brought his body back and he was buried in the churchyard at at Kintbury. Um His name was William Winterbourne. So I think he was actually these people were held in great esteem. So the riots were seen as something that was very desperate, but very out of character. I think, as well. So they so. were yes,
1: but they they so they were so desperate they were pushed to 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 do it. But mm. I mean, the only thing that I'm thinking now, Nicola, is that I don't think it's. I mean, we don't hang people now or put them to death, but. Not a lot has changed when it comes to protesting.
0: No, no, absolutely not. Um, and I think from a, from a rural worker's point of view, I think even now, because those people would have been in tenanted cottages or tied cottages, they wouldn't have owned anything. And I think although there are better conditions now, no farmer or shepherd that I know locally owns their own house so they're either in tied accommodation, the, the house comes with the job, They're tenanted or they're in the nearby towns, living in council houses, still working the same land. So in those ways, I think not a lot has changed.
1: (laughs) Not a lot has changed. I mean, they they will never own their own homes, even though they work the land that they they live on. Mm, Absolutely. I think that
0: um, spirit of dissent and protest, it does feel really strong around here. It feels like it comes up from the earth. The gibbet itself is often this sort of conduit for protest. It's had over the years different flags flung, flying from it. I remember one very grisly morning we looked out the window, or a neighbour of mine looked out the window, and saw a scarecrow hanging from it, and it looked for all the world like a body. <laughs> and that was a protest against the council tax by a farmer that couldn't afford to pay his council tax.
1: So you can see the gibbet from your window? Yes. From your house? Yes, I can. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> we just amazing. just about
0: make out our little red roof down there, okay. beyond the farm. <laughs> okay.
1: You live in this area where you feel that, that uh, very strongly, the idea of people protesting for a better life. Yes. But yeah. would you... Would you label yourself as a protester? Um, ooh, that's a, yeah, it's a that's, quite, one. that's a bit mean <laughs> to ask that question. But I'm just thinking. I mean, you you're you're not going around, you know, breaking buildings in Hungerford. No. I'm I'm sure. Well, I hope not. Anyway, but you but you may have other ways that you. Uh, I'd probably call myself an environmental activist. Yes, I think,
0: yes. Um, and I, I I suppose I always have been. Um, and inspired by, by those peace women and their tenacity, but also their gentleness. I think they they had the most incredible spirit um, and this gentleness and humour, sense of humour. So, all their protests, I mean, they were climbing through fences with these wire cutters that they used to call black cardigans. That was their code word for them. <laughs> I learned that. And they were going into this area where. There were all men with guns. I mean, I'd never seen a gun before until I saw these men up there on these gun towers that had this, apparently, shoot-to-kill policy. And they would go into these places and they would write little love notes and pin them to doors just to say that they'd been there, Um, which I love, that sort of real spirit of naughtiness. And they would go and dance on the bunkers. And, um, you know, so it was very, very peaceful, quite often funny protests. And I suppose it was in my 20s, actually, I went to university in Winchester, just just to the south of here, and um, the M3 cutting went through Twyford Down. Big road protest, the biggest one there'd ever been to that point. And I suppose I, I felt like I'd come in at the end of that a little bit. You know, the battle was almost all but over, but I was so inspired that I really thought, we've got to change this, because I think going back then we were aware of climate change and to be building more roads because there
1: was too much traffic... And destroying this wildlife it just seemed completely bonkers, you know. <laughs> um, that Sorry, Twyford Down was against the bypass. It was the M3 extension on the edge of Winchester.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, yes. We've got brimstone butterflies. Oh, that, for, uh, they're beautiful. quite big. Those butterflies. They are. Yeah. Oh, they're lovely, butter-coloured butterflies. Oh, absolutely stunning. And that and that. I think so. That looks like. Is that a marbled white? It That's does look like think. a marble. There's one. For, Possibly, I, I definitely. I saw some yesterday up here. They're definitely on the way. Gosh, that. So, what was the yellow one again? Uh, brimstone. Oh, so beautiful. <laughs> sorry, I can't. Kind, no, kind they're, so, they're beautiful. They're, just, oh, they're so distracting, aren't they?
1: Well, they are. Sorry, you have to kind of interrupt when you <laughs> see stuff like that because it's so lovely and and it sort of breaks us away from the rather stressful ideas oh, of what's going on. But it's yes, no, it's all good. Yeah. So,
0: so I, I'd gone to university quite late. I suppose I was in my mid twenties. Um, but back at home, the newbie bypass was underway, all sort of the normal routes of trying to stop it were done and dusted and it was being built. The trees, ten thousand trees were being felled. So it was like my childhood playground I suppose and not three miles from Greenham Common. I remember <laughs> being with a group of friends we've been to the pub and we must have had an early night because we were back at the house in the village watching the ten o'clock news and watching these skirmishes unfold with the protesters up the tree and we were what are we doing? <laughs> we need to be there. And the very next day, that's where we were. So, <laughs> And it was a real, a real life-changing time for me. And I think being at university, I had that freedom to do that, um, to come, to be there every day. I remember my... Um, it was my I did English literature and my, romantics, my romantic poetry tutor said to me, you'll learn more on that bypass than you will reading books. <laughs>
1: he said go and live some poetry and that's what i did (laughs) how brilliant how brilliant we're walking on gallows down your book that is called on gallows down are these stories all part of that book yes they are
0: yeah it's a it's a memoir but it's um it's more a memoir of a landscape really i suppose and its effect on me and how i came to i suppose fight for it for everything that it has been and could be um and I think a big key part of that for me is the wildlife. Mm. Um, and as soon as you realise that these things are actually in trouble, you want to do whatever you can to, to protect them.
1: That's, uh, the Butterflies are lovely today.
0: Yeah. The meadow brown butterflies, well, they're a very good generalist. Okay. Um, the, uh, the, the marbled whites are amazing because they will just fly over this grass sward and just drop their eggs as they go, Gosh. which is why it's really important um, to have areas of grass that's never mown <laughs> um, which you don't see very often, but up here because you couldn't get a tractor up here <laughs> Another thing that's really important to this downland is um, is grazing mm. um, but it has to be at the right times, it has to be sort of hard grazed at the right times of the year and then the sheep need to be coming off sort of March time for the cowsets to come through and then the other wildflowers to follow because we've got what have we got here? We've got lady's bedstraw, which is beautiful. What's it, lady's oh, bedstraw? Lady's bedstraw, oh, and it's so fragrant. I don't know. That's, oh yes, um, that's
1: that I've just got. It. It's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's like um, well, it smells of a meadow. Yes, yeah, it, it <laughs> does. <laughs> you've got marjoram,
0: um, you've got salad bonnet, which has this lovely cucumbery smell, mm. um, calamint, which is the wild basil, huh. and wild thyme as well. <laughs> But we need to be sort of on the lower slopes for that, and um, it's quite a trek back up again. So. Oh well,
1: I mean, if we went down there, we'd have to turn the microphone off coming back up so that we could breathe. What are these purple flowers? We've got these uh, field scabious. Oh, um, they're so pretty. They're so pretty. Um, because there's loads of um, bees, bumblebees around today yes, as well. Yes, lots of different different it, ones. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's the so lady's bedstraw coming out of flower there. Oh uh, yeah, just that little bit of shelter. Yes. Um, Gosh, it's so lovely. It's um, it's a fantastic. Actually, there's clustered bellflower over there, the purpley oh. one coming up. is lovely.
1: Oh, um, it just looks really, really healthy. This meadow. It, yeah,
0: yeah, it is. It is. It's um. It's it's just. I think um, something like oh, you spotted that little tiny butterfly. Oh, so that's a. It's still, that's a small copper. Goodness. I haven't seen one
1: of those in a while up here. Yeah, small Stunning, copper. absolutely stunning. <laughs> what well, a good find. Oh, good. Oh, I'm so pleased. I'm a spotter. <laughs> you are indeed. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I think problems? I know them, but I'm going to ask you. Hairbells. Hairbells, yeah. I just think <laughs> they're so sweet. Yeah, okay. Really, it's a very
0: important migratory uh, crossroads or resting point, I think, for, for birds. Um. So... Oh. Autumn and spring, you get you, you can almost see anything up here, um, which can be quite exciting. Oh, look! Here's what. So that's the calamint or wild
1: basil. So if you pick that and smell it, it's lovely. Do you? Crush do it you eat leaves. it? You can, yes. Oh my God! It smells. Yes. It smells. It smells, it smells just that's lovely, is not it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and we're gosh, we're set and it's a beautiful day, yes. and here we are, and the rain has stopped, thank yes. goodness. <laughs> so we're very we're very happy um off, so the birds although there's of there's quite an absence of birds today yes <laughs> so, um but it, but more in the aut- spring and autumn
0: yes, yeah i mean the you um I suppose a few weeks back it would have been full of skylarks. there's a lot of skylarks oh. up here, uh, meadow pipits as well, willow warbler, all sorts all sorts of um linnets, big big flocks of linnets, but I think the heat of the day is probably. I'd be hiding out somewhere in a gorse bush.
1: <laughs> yes, fair enough. That reminds me because you, as part of that um, collection of bird love letters to birds, yes, is that right? Yes, the
0: Red 67 collection. Thank you, yes. Red 67.
1: You chose a woodcock. Yes, yeah.
0: When I first moved here um, nearly 20 years ago, we used to get them breeding around, and uh, I'm not entirely sure they do anymore. I think we might have. Might have lost them locally as a breeding bird, not so much near the rivers, but very locally. But in the winter, you get a huge influx of them from the north, from Scandinavia, coming over from Russia. So you can almost walk anywhere, <laughs> and they're the most incredible birds. That like painted lady butterfly oh. as well. Interrupted by butterflies, isn't oh, it lovely? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the woodcocks will—they'll come over in them um, in big numbers, and they're not shot here, which is which is a good thing because you can
1: still shoot them. Yes, I thought they well, were. Sh- okay, so but you can still, but not round not here. here. Not here. they okay. not shot here, which is a, which is a good thing. Um, but the hill you can see in front
0: of you is called Walbury Hill, um, and there are loads there at night, along with other waders such as golden plover, uh, snipe, and even ruff, which, yeah, by, by all sort of all the guidebooks shouldn't really be there. <laughs> oh. so, it's, a, it's a real magnet for them. You, is this curlew land? Uh very occasionally. Mm. We do get stone curlew. Mm. Um we've got a few there are a few plots on the estate that are kept um, especially for them. Okay. Oh Travelled a certain yeah. way and left, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I think we had chicks earlier this year. I didn't get to see them, but um, the curlew would have been here 30 35 years ago, but not anymore. Mm. Or very rarely. Mm. You can you you might hear one, but um mm. Yeah, we've lost a lot of birds,
1: I think. Does the woodcock have a call that you're prepared to um, try and imitate for me? <laughs> for us, for um, us, for, for for us listeners.
0: Well, it does in spring, when it, it does this fantastic roding display, which um, the word roding, I think, only applies to the woodcock, and it sort of will fly around with its, with its big, long beak, or bill pointed to the ground, and it has this sort of really froggy sound in it and the squeal <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a
3: or, 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 <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's so brilliant the squeal wasn't quite right but it but it's so distinctive and it's quite subtle but once you've heard it and you've seen that bird you, you don't forget it This is. The, did you say it was the mating call well it's it's like a display call display so call. they'll fly around in circles to attract the female and just, mm. just protect their plot and we get um, a lot of red kite over here as well um, occasionally, goshawk in the woods, hmm. which is very exciting. <laughs> and Amazing. Peregrine falcon sometimes. Oh, you do. Yeah. Nesting. Um, I don't know about nesting. They probably do, um, but I've never, I've never found or known where a nest is. But we see them hunting up here, sometimes, which is
1: fantastic. Um, am I right in saying that if you see buzzards and and falcons and um, kites, if they're hunting up here? Mm-hmm. Then you've got a good ecosystem. Is that fair to say? Yes, yes. Um,
0: I would say certainly that would be the case with birds like peregrine falcon, um, sparrowhawks, goshawks, even. But I think it goes back to the pheasant um, farming, if you like. And I think that numbers of buzzards, kites, ravens, the other corvids are probably kept abnormally high because there are so much there's so much carrion. About to be had from dead pheasants, oh. um, so that can be that can have an off on effect with things like lapwings, you know, and, and that that is not just the aerial predators as well. It would be well probably foxes as well. Some argument there, yeah. Mm. But yeah, this is open sorry. Yes, land. this is open access land.
1: It's open access land, yeah. but it says private, no yeah. public right-of-way. So is this the kind of thing that might set you off on a kind of <laughs> protest? Do you chain yourself it to might, that fencing? <laughs> this is my... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not today.
0: Well, um, I think it's... Uh, yeah, but it's that's a very good point, because I think the beauty of protests, particularly modern protests, is there are so many things that you can do within your comfort and within your reach. You know, not everybody... You know, people have... Lives, jobs, families, all sorts of things, Um, you know, which means that they can't spend their time, you know, sitting in front of a a digger or or down a hole. You know, those that can, brilliant, and we can support them. Um, But I think just to do what you can is really important. And that actually might be as simple as showing, (laughs) pointing something out, showing sort of something. You know, if you're in the middle of a town and you have to spot Peregrine Falcon, which is... Quite likely these days, be prepared to embarrass yourself and share the world. Say, Look, that's a peregrine falcon. That's the fastest animal in the world,
1: up there in our city. And that—that's activism. That's a great. That's a great <laughs> idea. So actually, just be braver with pointing things out, rather yeah. than seeing them and keeping them to yourself. Yes. Yes. Make it more. I think make it more normal um, to care about nature, care about wildlife, and create conversations. Yes. Yes. Definitely you know, about why it is so wonderful to see them. That's such a great idea. OK, I'm going to be very... I'm going to highly embarrass myself and anyone who's with me from now on in the middle of Bristol. And what do you think of petitions? Do you think they, they're worth signing? Definitely. Yeah, I think even if it's, if it's the only
0: thing you can do, and quite often, busy lives, you know, quite often it's, it's the only thing I can do is to sign that petition. It's making your voice heard, and it might be a very automated way. But it's that weight of number, you know, and that will encourage somebody else to read that petition as well. You know, the wildlife crisis goes hand in hand with the climate crisis. Um, And I think the more we see people needing nature, reaching out to nature as we've done through the pandemic, and the more we see the effects of climate catastrophe, which we've seen a lot, you know, it is is happening, then you'd like to think... (laughs) People would make those connections, and I think it is about making those connections
1: and changing our behaviour and changing it quickly, like we have for the pandemic. What it, what, this, what, this, sorry, wait, another butterfly, but it doesn't look like a marbled white. So it's not. So that would be one of the white butterflies. Not sure. <laughs> a white one, yes. <laughs> Probably a large white. But like, oh, a large like, white. Oh, okay. No, I don't yeah. know. The pandemic shows that when we need to, we can act yeah. fast. Do you know what this is? Sorry. This rather lovely bird. This This might be too much of a of a sort of ID. The these bird feet. Oh, the feet. Ah. Oh, the, they're probably... Um, they do look sort of
0: corvid-sized. OK. Probably not big enough. To, oh, they might be big enough to be a raven, actually. Rubs. Some of them yeah. are... Yeah. Yeah, and also pheasant.
1: Um, oh, OK, so they could quite similar. So there would just be... The mud, yeah, but muddy these feathers...
0: Puddle. Lots of feathers around, so probably... Oh, yeah. a bit of Birds having a bath.
1: Black feathers, so they're just yeah. having a bit of fun. yeah. Having a groom,
0: yes. Very social birds, actually the ravens.
1: So, um, okay. So the HS2 is is still a work in progress. Yes. Um, yeah. Any successes in the past that you, have well, sh- which prove that the ca- that that being an activist is 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 worthwhile. Do you know what I would say? Newby bypass. Yeah. Because although it's there, I've had to drive on it. <laughs> it's. Is this the Basel? No. Yes. Oh, it, so it is. Carpet, yeah. I'm going to try. Quite a tea. Mm. Mm. It's, yeah. Oh, it's lovely. It's actually. But you see, that's an. Oh. Well, that's a
0: gatekeeper butterfly.
1: That was a gatekeeper. Oh. Your knowledge is amazing. Well I, I, well, I think if you take me off my patch, I'm not so good. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, we won't be doing that. <laughs> Greenham Common. Yeah. So, what was the success? So the bypass oh, is there, but it's. I
0: think. But well, it's, it's actually, not where
1: they said it would be.
0: No, I think I think with the bypass, we lost the battle completely. The whole thing was built; all the trees were lost, species were lost, nightingales are lost, you know. But actually, it stopped the road the road building program in its tracks. Um, And I mean, way back then, they were talking about um, the road that's going to bypass Stonehenge. They were talking about it 25 years ago. It still hasn't been built. And I think something like something ridiculous like. 600 road projects were cancelled um, and I like to think that that's because of, um, because of our actions Will have a lot to do with that probably the cost um, because it costs an, you know, an awful lot of money um, to get the protesters out and build the road um, but I think it, may, it gave people pause you know they were able to reflect on it perhaps and decide that maybe, maybe there were other ways
1: yeah Oh, that, that, so it led the way. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, are we going well, do you... into the private? Are we going in okay. here for for a reason?
0: So, just beyond that brow is um, triangulation point, and that is the highest. Well, it's the highest chalk hill in the world, um, and I like to say that it's the highest hill in the south. But that doesn't include the moors of the southwest. <laughs> so if we if we don't include the Quantocks, and it's the highest hill in southern that's good. England. <laughs> Let's have a look. Are you like to climb the gate? Yes.
1: Open, uh, yes. So, can you go first. Yes, I was always told to climb the gate. A Absolutely. Good. Okay, country girl. Look, <laughs> <don't> <laughs> we're trespassing only to pick up litter. Well, you yes. see, they were just picking up a oh, bit of plastic. Yeah. That's all what we're trespassing. So <laughs> it's worth it.
0: So if we head out this way. So this is the hill that you can see all those waders on at night in in the winter. So oh. the woodcock snipe um, garden plover and ruff which are you know extraordinary birds really to be up here I don't know about a ruff is that R-U-F-F yes okay and they've got in their summer breeding plumage um, so very much northerly birds or waders you know wetland birds they have this fantastic sort of Elizabethan ruff and they're kind of all sorts of beautiful colours piebald colours but Gosh. by the time they get here in the winter
1: <laughs> they're a bit dull oh right
0: <laughs> But nevertheless, an amazing...
1: Looking a bit rough see. either in yes. UGH. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> oh, so nice to see all these bees as well. Yeah. Bees and butterflies. Exactly. We couldn't have timed it better. It's been yes, raining lovely. all week. <laughs> Brought you here? Yes. So,
0: the highest point in... Southern England. In your southern England. In my southern England. Certainly southeastern and central. Yeah, and there's a pond, a dew pond in the wood over there that is the highest water this side of Derbyshire, apparently. Hmm. Hmm. haven't tested it myself. A <laughs> little well, swift going over. Oh, lovely. Oh, look. Through several, yeah. yeah. And they could actually, we could actually be witnessing them leaving. Leaving. Which is just, <gasps> Yes. <laughs> we don't often see them up here unless they're coming On or going. Way. Yeah. On so, way. so this is, yeah, it's quite an important hill, but um, mm. it's 26 feet short of a mountain.
1: <laughs> ah, it can't be given that um, important title no, then. No, no. So I
0: think before um, the retriangulation of the 1930s, it was supposed to be 1,011 feet high. And they uh,
1: reassessed it, and it was it was lacking. <laughs> there's a very famous there's a very famous story of that, isn't there, in Ireland or somewhere yes. where there isn't there? Yes, the, where a, they...
0: Is it a film with Hugh Grant? Yeah, a
1: film with yes, 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 yes. yes. a Film with Hugh Grant. How ridiculous! It's probably not even true. I'm so embarrassed now. <laughs> Should have come here. <laughs> but so. does it is it does it have does the hill have a name? Yes, it's Walbury Hill. Oh, you did say yeah, W A L B U R Y.
0: But we we've quite often we've had beacons up here in the in the past for different events fires and gatherings oh, it's been lovely because all the villagers are walked up from either oh, side and, yeah. and it is it's a huge hill fort you can't see the ramparts from here but it's an absolutely an enormous hill fort and the track actually goes through the middle so this is only one half of the hill fort here. oh
1: i see okay um and hill forts really as far as i can tell suffered from Water problems, because of exactly, the you well,
0: know... I guess, I mean, they were so, so... If we look along the line of Downs in the distance there, if mm. you see there's a an air, big aerial yes. up there, and the hill alongside it, that's Watership Down. Oh, um, gosh. With the rabbits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you come to Ladle Hill and then Beacon Hill, and on each of them, the hilltops, is a hill fort. and the first farmers would have all lived within, mm. within the, the, the ramparts and I'm sure that they would have dug um, these duponds, which mm. are the fa- they're absolutely fascinating. <laughs> they are the most mysterious thing. Um, it took four men a team of four men four weeks to build them, and they are carved out of the chalk and then they're layered in straw and then chalk rubble to give like a, a thermos effect. and then the, the top layer is crushed. They would have driven horses or cattle round it to crush the chalk, and then water is added to make it like a cream, and then they would have sealed it round so it looked like a white saucer. <laughs> let it harden, let it a few frosts go over it, and then it would just sort of naturally hold, fill up and hold water.
1: And they still do today. It's it's just extraordinary. And how they knew that and how they knew the recipe. It yeah. sounds like sort of the first cement. It, yes, it does. I think it probably
0: was. Are they? Are they um, several names for them. They, they call them mist ponds or cloud ponds as well, which I love.
1: And we, it's too far for us to go there now, is it? It
0: is. Yeah, there's one in the, in the, in the wood there. Mm. Um, but um, And the other one, unfortunately, up the other end of it, that's the, the gibbet there. Got some more ravens coming in, look. Mm. A whole little family of them. But the other one is over by those beech trees over there. And it's, it's um,
1: got a lot of trees growing up through it, unfortunately. Looking at the gibbet mm. and the, the ravens, there is yes. a connection, isn't there, with ravens <laughs> and death. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's not a surprise that they, they're up here.
0: No. In some ways. In some ways, it, it feels like, I mean, there would have been a gap uh, when there weren't any here. Um, I'm sure that when, I, when we first moved here, you know, if you saw one, it's a rare, a rare thing, but there's a big gangs of them about and I can hear them chattering away saying very wise things, I'm sure. Are we going back now so that way? So we're going or to go th- back that way. Okay. Um, I just want to point out, I don't know. so I think through the trees, we might have to walk a bit further back that way, It's Highclere Castle um, oh. of Downton Abbey fame. Oh! <laughs> it's just through the trees. And our old house uh, was there, so we used to work for the Earl of Carnarvon on the, at the stud, the thoroughbred stud. So we had a tied, a tied cottage there, and it absolutely broke my heart to leave there we had to leave when my husband changed his job <laughs> oh. well you loved it there but I loved it absolutely loved it there it was, it was idyllic but it was quite it was quite feudal
1: <laughs> at times <laughs> which is it's good and bad feudal amongst know. who amongst all the workers I, I, or? yeah
0: yeah it was a very closed close community I mean we I, I did have a car occasionally when I was there but you know we only went out shopping or took my young son to play group but apart from that we lived our whole lives in, in the stud and in the castle estate, but it, yeah, it did it broke my heart to leave there. But, but then I found this place just a few miles along the along the Ridgeway. So
1: um I feel very lucky. Mm. <laughs> it's very pretty where you live. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> should we? What's that? Is that, that a buzzard? That's a buzzard again. Yeah. Which no. way should we? Which way are we going? So let's go straight back to the Do you come up here at night? I do. I do. Not
0: so much. <sighs> Sometimes it's it's quite spooky. I must admit, but. You can be up here and there's absolutely nobody else and you feel quite safe with that and the stars are just fantastic oh, yes because of the huge sky up oh, here and the lights in the valley I and mean, there's hardly any that side gosh um, and this side they're very few and scattered
1: that's amazing oh it's just beautiful
0: <laughs> that's mm-hmm. amazing it really considering
1: is. we're in we could call it the commuter Yes. <laughs> belt. It was a bit, bit of a rude thing to say in this, when we're standing in this beautiful field and it just sounds a bit wrong but uh, is, uh, I don't know if this is a very fair question, what's your biggest concern at the moment for the environment that you're prepared to kind of put yourself out for as an activist? What, what are you focusing on?
0: I think to be honest, um, we really need to step up our actions for nature and the climate that's obvious but biggest thing it needs is for us all to be included in that, in the awareness of it and the access to it. You know, I've, <laughs> I've never felt more privileged this year with the lockdowns, having all this just to step out into. <laughs> very, very lucky. For all those people that haven't got that, we need we need the countryside and the city. We need nature and cities. We need access for everybody. You know, we, we need an equality of access. And I think we need more of those great big swathes of landscape that are shut off to people. We need more of that open as well. And with that, I think we'll come a better knowledge, better passion, more learning, more connection, I think, with people that work the land, to those that don't, those that want to conserve the land. I think it's the key to everything. Things are looking better in that respect, aren't they? They are. I think this sort of, these last 18 months of protests... On other matters, you could see a seam of connection through them all. And particularly, I think, with access to the countryside, it doesn't take much to make a connection with that. From Black Lives Matter to the safety of women on their own, Extinction Rebellion, you know, I think mental health crisis as well, it could all be solved by better access to the countryside and and a responsibility towards the countryside. When I say the countryside, I mean nature. Yeah, so I think things are looking up, but we've got a lot to do. A
1: lot of work to do. (laughs) Nicola, thank you so much.
3: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
0: This episode is brought to you by Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smartfood, add smart. To learn more, visit
3: smartfood.com. Well, I absolutely love Nicholas. Enthusiasm and her optimism about the power of nature, and how, despite all the terrible things that she's witnessed, all the destructions and developments and loss of nature that she's witnessed, that she's still so bouncy and optimistic about how nature can improve our lives and how we can still win the win the battle to create a biodiverse and rich and wonderful wild countryside that we can all enjoy. That was that was lovely. And thank you to Nicola and to Annabelle, our own Annabelle Ross, for that brilliant walk up on Gallows Down. And more on that in a minute. But I have to introduce Jack, who's here from the regular podcast team. Jack, lovely to see
2: you. Nice to see you too. Have you been out on any protests? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get out of my little basement recording room. Poor Jack is chained to various
3: equipment. He doesn't just do the Country Fire podcast, I'm sorry to say, although it is his favourite. Definitely. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, lots of talk about environmental protests at the moment in the news. But obviously these are these things aren't anything new. And as Nicola reveals, they've been going on since the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, all the way through. And you can read loads more about this in Nicola's book, which isn't all just about protests, it's all about celebration of nature. On Gallows Down. Place, Protest, and Belonging, and it's published by Chelsea Green Publishing out in the shops now. And I'm sure Nicola will return to the podcast somewhere down the line. I'd love to go roaming on the downs with her in spring. I'm very envious of Annabelle. Plus, it is the most butterfly-filled podcast, apart from the one we you and I did, Jack, down in the Somerset Levels, where we had clouds of butterflies everywhere. That was probably the most butterfly-filled. They saw the most species, certainly, so lovely. So just with Jack this week, um, Hannah, who usually joins us for these podcast chats, is decorating a Christmas tree, <laughs> it being early, early in October. So we we will miss her this week, but um, also Jack and I can crack on and have a laugh ourselves
2: <laughs> up to our eyeballs and tinsel but we did uh, we we have
3: had uh, a lot of well we've we've seen each other the last if you listen to last week's podcast where we were talking about the river why and the folk music festival we saw each other in the flesh and before that we've met at the Mulvan show which is a podcast coming up very soon guarantee it will make you laugh national giant vegetable competitions There are huge bulls, tiny goats, crazy stories all the way through. And we had a real blast.
2: It's got everything in it. Everything you can imagine, <laughs> yeah,
3: it's got it. As I was editing it, I was just laughing away. It was so funny, um, and nothing to do with us. It's just it was the it was just events. We were overtaken by events, and so that's coming up as part of this series. It's a sort of special, not quite history and mystery though. It does deal with all the uh, an agricultural show, a country show like the Morven Autumn Show. It's full of history and full of stories of the countryside, so it feels appropriate. And anyway, on to this, we've got we've had lots of we've had lots of letters in, Jack. Yes, I've seen it. The postbag is brimming, bulging, brimming and bulging. Um, yeah, well, I, well, lots of I, obviously the, the big cats podcast we did earlier in the in the month, um, well, back in September, has gone down really well. We've had a couple of well. Why don't Why don't you do one and I'll do one. Yeah, and we'll see where we get to. Do you want Do you want to start? You've got one. Yeah,
2: definitely. I mean, we. I think the Back Big Cat podcast has uh, stirred up more debate and conversation than we've had with any other episode, which has been really interesting. And I think it's it's nice to see that people can just send their thoughts in, which is it's great. And this is this is one of them. This is from Rod Harris, and uh, he's written in to say. One of the advantages of being retired and living in North Woodchester is that I can walk my flat coat retriever, Jake, around Boundary Court every morning. I have lived here in the village for 53 years and have walked every footpath, lane and field in the parish and have never seen a big cat. Plenty of rabbits, steers, badgers, foxes, buzzards have crossed my path, but no big cat. I, too, like you, with the lack of any real evidence, am very sceptical about the presence of any big cat in this part of the Cotswolds. The only evidence I have seen are fuzzy photos and stories by men on the way home from the pub. <laughs> in fact, I was the first person to discover the carcass and my lab, Meg, had a good snuffle around the poor deer which several animals had already had a go at. I also went to the meeting in the school and the whole subject was very much hyped up by the believers. But it makes a good story while sitting around the fire in the Royal Oak on a dark winter's night. I'm very sorry you had a wet visit to Boundary Court. It's even more beautiful on a sunny day. And he even sent us a picture to see it in a sunny day. Yeah, slightly jealous of that. So I,
3: um, really, Rod, thank you for that. That's really fun. I, obviously, you know the area where very well, where James and James Fair and I walked looking for the big cats of the Cotswold, the Cotswold cat. And I think it's really interesting. You've added to the story because we talked about this carcass of a deer being found and people believing that it had been brought down and partially devoured by this mystery big cats but it's just great hearing more sort of first-hand evidence that actually your Labrador Meg and other animals had already sort of met it (laughs) so we've had another email in from a lady who lives in Bath so not too far away and Bath is the very southern end of the Cotswolds and she wanted to share a possible sighting of a large black cat that she had some years ago and she says in 2001 to 2002 I was working in Waterhouse which was a residential home for the elderly nestled in the Moncton Coombe Valley just outside Bath. I believe it's now a conference centre but it's a lovely old building. I remember it being lunchtime and I was helping a resident in their room which faced towards the far side of the valley. I remember just watching this large black cat meandering down the hillside. I could see it was too large to be a domesticated black cat Had it been a small cat, I would not have noticed it, simply because of the distance between the home and the far side of the valley. To this day, I've never told a soul. People would probably think I was mad. It is something I'll never forget, and if anybody were to come to me now and tell me they'd seen a large panther type cat, I would have to believe them without a doubt, simply because I believe what I saw was indeed a large panther type animal. Good luck in searching for other sightings and stories. And I think this correspondent would prefer her name not to be shared, um, just because she says she doesn't want to receive ridicule. I mean, you know, we totally—that's a really interesting email. And people are seeing things out there. I think specifically with the Cotswold cat, I think James and I got to the bottom of that story. But it's not going to end the the people believe they've seen something out there, and you know, these testimonies—they're heartfelt. They're genuine. It would be really interesting to, to if, if anyone else has seen anything around Bath or anywhere else. We, we're desperate to hear these stories because we'd like to sort of build a dossier of black cat sightings and perhaps investigate it further down the line. We've got endless podcasts to make, so we would like to keep it going.
2: I think it's uh, interesting hearing it from people rather than – I mean, I, I know I've, I've heard about people having sightings of the, the big cats – but usually that's through a source that I'm, I may say is probably not the most reliable. A certain type of newspaper, let's say. that. Uh, oh yeah, okay, I get you. But to hear it come from people and to hear it from your perspective and it's from a letter written from you, it's not been gone through any editor or anything like that. It's quite interesting to hear your stories because I feel like you really can understand what you people have seen and... And it feels more believable to me when you hear it coming from someone personally rather than in an article or anything like that.
3: Yeah, really interesting. Well, both those those letters are very sort of clear and honest and heartfelt and both sort of show two sides of the same sort of story. So, well, if you do have anything, please send it to my email address. I'm Fergus Collins, but my email address is editor at countryfile.com because as well as helping produce this podcast, I also edit... The print magazine, Countryfile magazine. So have a look out for that in the shops. And uh, you can find us online at countryfile.com, where we also have lots of other stories about the countryside. And that's, I mean, that's pretty much it from from Jack and me this week. We've got uh, next week, I'm heading off with the editor of Who Do You Think You Are? magazine, talk about magazines, where we're going to be searching for stories and tales, very interesting mysteries in a country graveyard. So that will be fun. Well, that's it from this week's podcast. Thanks again to Annabelle, Nicola, and obviously to Jack for producing the podcast, and thank you for listening. Goodbye.